Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, before we get into the study, if you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're working our way, if you're new or visiting, we're working our way through Corinthians, and um, we don't, I don't endorse, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a political pastor, but I'm a pastor, and when the politics makes mention of the Word of God, then it needs to be addressed, and so Jim's got a little slide for you as you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Need an abortion? California is ready to help. And this is funded, paid for by Newsom's, Newsom for California Governor 2022. But notice what it says there. Visit abortion.california.gov to learn more. How can you kill your baby? And what verse does he put? He puts a Bible verse. And these are on billboards that are going up across the country. Well, I shouldn't say that, sorry. They're going up in seven states that are pro-life states. They're targeting seven states that are pro-life states and that have abortion laws in place now. And so what, he, what, the, what they decided to put up there was Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. So if my neighbor comes to me seeking an abortion, I guess that's love. I say, oh yeah, I'll take you down and have you kill your baby. That, that's real love. What about the love in your womb? Hello? The love in your womb. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these taken totally out of context of having an abortion, which you know is murder. So this has to be addressed for you young people. The Bible says in Ephesians, speak the truth in love, but we have to speak the truth. And I know for you young people, you look to to older people as, as supposedly examples, and we should respect our elders, but that doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love. We can speak the truth in love with respect, but we have to speak the truth in love. And so this is totally, totally, totally against the word of God. Thou shall not murder, which they took out of the school many, many years ago, is one of the commandments of God. And we know scientifically, as well as the scriptures told us first, that life begins at conception. But scientifically, we know that life begins at conception. But Democratic, uh, Georgia Democratic uh, Stacey Adams No such thing as a six-week fetal heartbeat. So I'm going to read this article to you, and you can find the article yourself. But these are supposedly our leaders, guys. And so I encourage you, if you have young children or junior high, high schoolers specifically, you need to talk to them about this. Stacey Abrams, the Georgia Democrat running for governor, earlier this week said there's no such thing as a six-week fetal heartbeat. So six times seven is 42, I think. Or is modern math not, is it not practical anymore? Is it not real anymore? I think it's 42. You can pick up a heartbeat at 21 days. 21 days. But she's saying at 42 days, no, there's no such thing. Claiming it's a manufactured sound designed to help men control women's bodies. In quotes, there's no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks, Abrams said during an event at Ray Charles Performing Arts Center in Atlanta on Tuesday. In quotes, it's a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body. Abrams was discussing Georgia's heartbeat law, saying it shouldn't be referred to as the heartbeat bill because that's medically false, biologically a lie. And she wants to be a governor. But we already know there's other governors out there that are inviting people to come to a state to make money so that he can kill the babies and do with the fetal tissue that they do to make money. It's a billion-dollar industry, guys. Don't, don't kid yourself. Abrams, last week during an appearance on The View, that's a really important show to watch, <laughs> said she supports abortion until the time of birth, in some instances. 
quote, do you think there should be any legal limits on abortion such as a third trimester or viability? A view co-host question. Now again, for conversation purposes, viability, what is viability? So they're using this word viability to mean could a baby support outside the womb? I'd like to ask you a question. Could a baby live to its first birthday without any support, whatever, without being taken care of? I think kids are viable till they're probably 18 years old. But they use these fancy words to make it sound like justifiable to murder these little ones because they're not viable. They won't survive. False. Now Abrams answered that, I believe that abortion, I believe that abortion is a medical decision, not a political decision, she replied. Arbitrarily, politically defined timelines are deeply problematic. It's kind of like when they asked, uh, what is Biden's weak limit? Does Biden put a, a limit on when abortion could take place? How many weeks? They wouldn't answer and he won't answer. The New York governor said, up until birth. Not just in some cases, up until birth. Not a problem, up until birth. So guys, this is how radical it's becoming. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are looked at as the radical one for standing up for the life of a baby. Are deeply problematic because they ignore the reality. They ignore. Who are the they there? Pro-lifers. They ignore the reality of medical and philosophical uh, uh, physiology, physiological issues. Quotes again, the limits should not be made by politicians who don't understand basic biology. <laughs> kind of like, what is a woman, huh? Or apparently basic morality. So again, it's okay to kill a baby. This, the, the most dangerous place in America right now is where? A mother's womb. Has been for the last 40 years. Last 50 years. A mother's womb. We're approaching, or we, we've gone over 60, they believe 60, estimate, light estimate, 63 million abortions since Roe v. Wade was passed. 63 million abortions. Safest, safest place is not the mother's womb anymore. Hasn't been for a long, long time. So get some basic facts so you can talk and address to your youngsters these issues because they're the ones that are being dumped on to believe this nonsense. So that when they get older, there won't be any debating. They'll just go, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a baby. The, the, the beat, heartbeat doesn't mean anything. No, it's not a baby. Teach them the truth. Because the truth will set them free. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. And that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And truth is getting so hard to find these days. But Father, we have your word and your word defines the truth to us and we're going to stand upon your word because your word has not changed. You are the same yesterday, today, forevermore and you love each and every one of these people. So we pray for these people, Lord. They need Jesus. They desperately need Jesus for they will be held accountable. And so Lord, we pray for their souls. Use our brothers and sisters in Christ around these people. I'm sure that they cross paths with Christians because you are that, you're that type of God. You give every single person ample opportunity to repent, to come to know Jesus as their Savior. So Lord, we just agree with that and just pray for your Holy Spirit to empower our brothers and sisters in Christ to get these people the gospel, the good news. For if they leave this earth without it, they will perish, eternal separation from God. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching as we go over your word this morning. Be glorified in and through it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're new or visiting, let's pick it up in verse uh, 12. Our study is actually going to be in verse 19. You can get the CDs from uh, previous weeks to catch up. But verse 12, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer to tho- for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. 
So outward appearance versus a transformation of the heart. For we are beside ourselves, for it is if it for we if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, so Jesus died for all, the whole world, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we've been talking about this because we're ambassadors for Christ. We're to no longer just look about ourselves and think about ourselves, but we're to start looking after others, believer as well as unbeliever. Verse 16, therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So he's saying even as a former Pharisee who used to dress in the robes and got all the attention and the oohs and the ahs, he's saying that's just outward. That means nothing. Matter of fact, Paul even says that about himself, that he can look back and count it all dung. Everything that he thought he was doing for God, education and otherwise, is just a pile of dung. Because I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know God. I was killing Christians. I was torturing them. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you become born again, and if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I had the opportunity to do two memorials this past week, one on Friday, one yesterday. The most important thing that you need to know is that God loves you, first and foremost. God loves you. It's good news. God loves you. But you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So you need to accept Jesus as your Savior. If you do receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit will come in you and you will be saved. You'll become a child of God, a son or a daughter. If you do not, if you stiff arm God right now and say, you know what, I don't need that. Okay, that's fine. That's that's free will. Praise God for free will. But you're now held responsible for what you just heard. God loved you. He sent his son to die for you. You reject it. God sends nobody to hell. You're choosing to go there yourself. Don't blame God on judgment day. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you've been born again, if you're a believer, he is a new creation from heaven to earth, white, holy, unblameable, unreprovable. All things have pa- old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us. Notice past tense. God has done the reconciling versus religion will try to teach you that you need to get clean You need to get right. You need to do this. You need to do that. And then maybe God will love you. Maybe God will forgive you. We don't know for sure, but maybe. What does the scripture say? uh, That is that God, I'm sorry, verse uh, 18. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. God has actually reconciled the whole world. There's not one person as we approach 8 billion people that has not been forgiven. All 8 billion people have been forgiven. But we need to appropriate that forgiveness. If we don't appropriate that forgiveness, then we're not forgiven. So you need to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. Today is the day of salvation. And has given us Paul writing to the believers, as well as his own ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's get into our verses this morning. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The world. Not the Catholics. Not the the Muslims. Jehovah Witness, Calvary Chapelites. The world. The whole world. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not holding their sins against them. Anyone can be forgiven. And has committed to us, again, the believer, the word of reconciliation. So Paul sums up this teaching by saying that Jesus came to restore right fellowship between God and mankind. No matter how hard a person tries, only God can restore a sinner to himself. But notice that Paul encourages the believer, as he's been doing over the last few verses, that every believer has the opportunity to have a part in that restoration process. Every believer, not just, as we've mentioned before, the pastor, the deacons, the elders, oh, that's their job. No, 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 no. We all have that privilege of being a part of that process. Before we leave the verse, I have highlighted those words there, five words. That is that God was in Christ. 
God was in Christ, guys. Maybe you come from a background, various backgrounds, just as I shared the last two days, um, as I do at every memorial service. You, you might be an atheist here today. That's okay. God still loves you. God still loves you. You might be Muslim. You might be whatever, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, whatever it might be. But just know, God was the one who did the work. You can't do it. You will never, ever succeed. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Pleading. That word pleading there, right in the middle of the verse, it means to draw us near. Isn't that interesting? Think back to maybe when you got saved. And something was happening in your life. Maybe your life was total chaos, spinning out of control. Or maybe you were just, eh, not so bad. But something was drawing you. Something was not right inside, deep inside. Something was not right That was the Holy Spirit. That's called para, P-A-R-A. The Holy Spirit was drawing you to the cross. And something happened in your life, a verse, a song, someone witnessed to you, an evangelist, whatever it might have been, and all of a sudden you received Christ. The Holy Spirit came within you. You're now an ambassador for Christ. And that's what the pleading means there, to draw near. You see, God has used men and women throughout the ages to proclaim the glorious truth of the gospel, that God truly desires to have a relationship with anyone who would like to have one. It's kind of interesting when you're doing a memorial service, kind of like on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, or anytime you're teaching in front of a crowd, people check their phones, people nod. They're not nodding in agreement. They're nodding because they're falling asleep. <laughs> it's amazing all the things you see happening. And some people, they got the sunglasses on like yesterday because it was outside and you can just tell they're... I said, hey, this is what Dawn requested, that I share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I am going to fulfill her request. Got a problem with it? It's Dawn's request. And I had five minutes to share the gospel. Boom. Just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. We don't save people. God saves people. We're just called to throw it out there. You see, that relationship is absolutely free. No conditions, no stipulations, no hidden agenda. Just out of a pure love and desire to be with us. I mean, can can you comprehend that? Especially when you were first born again. Could you comprehend I mean, there were probably some of your friends that didn't want to hang around you anymore. But God wanted to hang around you. God wanted you. God desired to have you. It's pretty hard to comprehend. But it's true. In verse 21, For he made him who knew no no sin, again, a confirmation that Jesus is God. No one is without sin. We never will be without sin. The only human being that could be without sin is God himself. So once again, we see in these verses confirmation for that God was in Christ. Now again, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become right with God. That's what righteousness means that we might become the righteousness of God in him or in Christ. God made us right through his one and only son, Jesus. And there's no other way to be righteous before God than accepting the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Romans 5, 18, 19 says this, Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam, Adam and Eve, judgment came to all men or mankind, male and female, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous, notice capital M, so that's referencing Jesus, the second Adam. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the cross, the free gift came to all men, mankind, male, female, young, old, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, first Adam and Eve, 
Many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, the second Adam, many will be made righteous. Chapter 6, verse 1. I think if you're new to the Bible, there were no chapter breaks or verses. It was all just one letter, but for us, thank God, they did break it down to the best of their abilities. It's not always, doesn't always flow perfectly, but it flows pretty well. They broke the Bible down with chapters and verses. So chapter 6, verse 1. We then, as workers together with him, with Jesus, because Jesus was the ambassador, as we talked about last week, also plead with you, plead with you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. And I think it's just great how the Holy Spirit let the Corinthians know that all of them could be a part of the ministry through that process of salvation. And this is really sad, I think, in the church, Big C Church. Unfortunately, people get saved and they don't realize that they can be a part of the ministry. For some reason, they think, well, that's only for those who have at least 10 verses memorized. Well, it's only for those who have been to the cemetery, seminary. You got to go to the seminary, get your diploma. It's only for those who have read the whole Bible all the way through No, God wants to use you. He wants to use you immediately. And the word vain there at the end of verse 1 there, in 6, 1, vain, it means empty, empty, empty. And I find that interesting since Paul has been addressing eternal rewards. You see, it's wonderful to receive the grace of God. Everyone in this room would admit that. But it would be totally empty. It'd be totally empty or vain to not share that grace. You see, we're workers together with God. So it's up to us to be available for his use, whatever that looks like throughout the week, not just Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but throughout the week. So that the eternal kingdom of heaven might be advanced one soul at a time. Verse two, for he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Paul says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're here today and not saved, today is the day of salvation. You see, Paul references Isaiah 49, 8 here. And Isaiah's ministry was 740 B.C. to roughly 700 B.C. He was one of those Old Testament prophets that had the privilege of warning all of Israel, all of Israel, to repent, to turn back to the ways of God Remember, and maybe you don't know this because you're new to the Bible, but after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. You had the northern tribes and the southern tribes. The northern tribes were referenced as Israel. The southern tribes were referenced as Judah, 10 and 2. Isaiah is referencing and reaching out to all of them because the northern tribes were deep into idol worship and would soon be carried away captive by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., So roughly about halfway through Isaiah's ministry, the northern tribes were hauled off the land. The southern tribes, or the tribes of Judah, were heading towards the same destruction. And God was using Isaiah to give the northern and southern kingdoms another chance to repent. You see, Isaiah's mission was to let the Israelites know. Now, as I'm sharing this, what is your mission? To let others know. Destruction is coming. Repent. That today was a good day to repent. Today is a good day to get saved. Judah also refused to listen and were first carried away to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC, just as it was foretold by Isaiah and the prophets. Nebuchadnezzar would come against Judah two more times totally destroying them in 586 B.C. You can read that account in the book of Jeremiah. God's word was and will be always fulfilled. And so when Jesus said it will be as it was in the days of Lot, it will be as it was in the days of Noah, that's a guarantee. It is going to happen. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. I believe that Paul is using the example of Isaiah to let the Corinthians know that their personal testimonies are very important and your personal testimony is very important. Your life in Corinth is short and it will come to an end. Just replace it with the us. Our time on this life is so short. 
My dad lived to be 100 years old. That's a long time, right? He's dead. But it's 100 years, long time. He's dead. He's dead. It's over. 100 years. Long time? Yes. Dead. Dead. So use the time wisely to reach out to those who are heading for destruction. Any day is a good day to share the good news of salvation with the unsaved, to let them know that today is a day of salvation. Again, not during your work hours. That's not what you're being paid to do. After hours, lunchtime maybe, invite them out to dinner maybe, get together at your house. Because everyone will be judged, the believer at the Bema seat of Christ, the unbeliever at the great white throne judgment seat. We give no offense, verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Notice that, that our ministry, that's very important as I continue on here, that our ministry may not be blamed. You see, Paul now is going to move into some practical insight about the ministry in these following verses here. So you can read ahead. We're not going to get through all the verses, but read ahead through verse 10 this week. You see, since every believer is an ambassador or a representative of Christ, we need, we need to remember that people are watching our walk as well as listening to our talk. You see, they want to know if the two match or are we just playing church? Are you just coming to Calvary here? Are you just playing church? Are you really a believer? You see, it says giving no offense. We give no offense. That means to do something that causes others to stumble. To do something that causes others to stumble in the workplace, in the neighborhood, at home. That what? May not be blamed. That word blame there, it means to find fault with, to mock at, to discredit. You know, unfortunately, because of his poor decision involving Bathsheba, King David is the common example of this type of situation. In 2 Samuel, we read this. So David said to Nathan, after his sin was found out, after most likely about a year, Nathan came to David and as a representative of God, said, David, you're the man. I have sinned against the Lord, David said. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David should have died. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He should have been taken outside and stoned to death. However, Because by this deed you have given great accusation to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. And the child did die. Now we can pick on David, yet Paul here has showed us that we're all in the ministry. For us today, it's not just about the actions of the pastors, the elders, the deacons, the musicians, or those who volunteer in the children's ministry. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 to see how this all ties in together. You see, in our text, Paul is making mention of those who are ministering with him, but he's given the Corinthians an example of what he taught the Ephesians that we're going to read here on how everyone should be involved in the ministry. And again, not just on Sundays or Wednesdays, but throughout the week. The ministry is all of ours, and any one of us could be enticed by the enemy to make a poor choice like King David did might not be that drastic, but still a poor choice. Ephesians 4, 11 through 17. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why? Why do we have the church? Why do we have organization in the church? Verse 12 tells us, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So that's my role as a pastor or anyone who teaches the Bible. The role is to equip the saints, not to beat the saints, not to fleece the saints, not to whip the saints, not to get them into a frenzy. Teach the word of God that they might go out and do the work of the ministry for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're looking to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at anybody else and going, you know, I'd like to do that, or I'd like to be more like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you always want to be Jesus, because people will let you down. You stick around here long enough, I will disappoint you. Guarantee you, I will disappoint you. So don't look to me, look to Jesus. If I do something right, praise God. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? That we should no longer be children 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. And this is even coming into Calvary Chapel. It's okay to drink. You know, the Bible says it's okay to drink. I'm not going to encourage you to drink. I've never encouraged you to drink. But it's coming from the pulpit, even in some Calvaries. Younger pastors. I guess they want to be cool. It's not cool. Alcohol is a tremendous problem in America. Tremendous problem. But the Bible does say you can drink. So if you want to drink, you can drink. I would encourage you to drink it privately. Have it between you and the Lord. If you're not convicted otherwise, like I am convicted. Lord told me many, many years ago, before I was in the ministry, don't drink anymore. And so I haven't. I haven't had a drink in, I don't know, 35 minutes. <laughs> 35 days. I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. It was mid-80s. So whatever that works out to. 37 years. Haven't missed it. Not a big deal. But you have to rely upon the Holy Spirit, not man. I'm not convicting you. I'm just making mention of this. If the Holy Spirit's telling you something right now through that, then you act upon that. If he's not, don't worry about it. There's no guilt or condemnation because you are free to drink. But just be careful what might happen by you doing that to an unbeliever or to a believer who maybe has a problem with drinking, even in the privacy of your own home. You might be causing them to stumble. Well, that's their problem. Yeah, okay. You're not a mature Christian if you say that. That's a weakness. That's immaturity. We're to die to self. Didn't we just read that a few verses before? We don't think of ourselves anymore. We think of those around us. And if I'm that immature, I need to grow up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Verse 15, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse, well, middle of 14. By the trickery of men and in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Did you guys just read that? Feel free to look around. Feel free to look around. Look around right now. Don't be afraid. Nobody's going to bite you. Look around. This is the whole body. Not just... Here, this is not the whole body. This is not the whole body. I'm not the head. Christ is the head. You, we are the whole body. What does the Bible say? From whom the whole body join and knit together by what every joint supplies. How are you serving the Lord? And again, this is not through guilt or condemnation. This is through a Bible study. How are you serving the Lord? If not here, where are you serving the Lord? What are you doing for the Lord? Are you storing up treasure or are you just cruising through Christianity? It's your account, not mine. According to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying, again, the building up of itself in love. And you know, we have a healthy body here, praise God. Last Sunday, uh, a family came up to me after service with this situation, and I'm not going to give you all the details, but it was a situation where we had to make some very quick decisions, and that morning I said, hey, no problem, we got it covered. We'll help you, we'll take care of everything, and we don't charge to, to marry or bury here. Um, we don't charge, as the members, it's, it's your place, you've paid for it. So I explained this to the family, and, and so uh, they had a, a, a family member that passed, um, they've been coming to the church for a while. We said, we'll take care of everything. We'll take care of everything. Not a problem. And so Claudia put out an email. Claudia mentioned it at the women's ministry. Uh, Ambassadors of Hope, which is a group that you can be a part of, started getting together. We started getting the word out. And on Friday, we had 100, probably 100, 110, 120 people show up for the memorial. There was plenty of food, decorated, taken care of. The people were served. You all pulled together. Praise God. See, that's the effect of working in the body of Christ. Each member knows what they can do. You don't look at somebody else and say, well, I I can't do anything because I can't do that. No, 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 no. What can you do? Even in the privacy of your own home, what can you do? There's things to be done. Causes what? Causes growth of the body. And so, you know, you can just step back. I can at least step back. Maybe you don't, but I can step back and go, wow, that was just so cool. Sunday morning, five days notice, 
And the Holy Spirit pulls it all together. Music, slideshow, program, food, fellowship. The people were ministered to. The family was ministered to. The family was taken care of. Family was blessed. Guys, that's the body of Christ. That's how it should work. And so I want to encourage you as you look back into 2 Corinthians, ask yourself, what is, my, what, am, what is my role? What is my spiritual gift? Do you know your spiritual gift? Because you can't do it if you don't even know your spiritual gift. We have spiritual gift inventories in the lobbies. Take a spiritual gift inventory and see what your bent is towards. Maybe it's ushering greeting. Maybe it's ushering. Who, take the inventory. You'll, you'll find out. It'll help you to understand what your bent is. So again, in our text, as I've already mentioned, Paul is making mention of those who are ministering with him, but he's giving the Corinthians, he's giving those of us this morning an example of what he taught the Ephesians on how everyone should be involved in the ministry. You see, the ministry is all of ours, and any one of us could be enticed by the enemy to make a poor choice, just like King David. Again, it might not be as drastic, but it could still be a poor choice. And if it was just our name that was going to be evil spoken of, that wouldn't be such a big deal. But often our name is forgotten. And the person who's seen the offense, whether a believer or unbeliever, remembers that there was a Christian who did this or that. You know, there's a Christian who did this or that. Then it becomes the ministry of God that is evil spoken of. I won't do a show of hands because I, I pretty much know the answer. But I'd venture to say there's quite a few of you right now, if I asked you to raise your hand, if you had a poor experience in a Christian church, that many of you would raise your hands. We're human, we're frail, we make mistakes. And there are those who will find something wrong with Christians no matter what. That's not my point, because none of us are perfect. We'll never be perfect. But the Holy Spirit through Paul is making us aware that we need to be careful about our actions. You see, Paul was encouraging those who are living in a debauched society called Corinth or America, who are willing to kill babies up until the day before they're born, to not give in to the things of that society, which for the days we're living in, it's just a great exhortation for us all as we look at verse 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulations, in need, in distresses. You see, instead of falling prey to the enemy of this world, show yourself strong. You see, Paul is now going to share a list that most Christians in America would not like to see or hear about. But we're going through the Bible verse by verse. The comfortable verses as well as the uncomfortable verses. But Paul and his companions were ministers of God and were not sent out to be ministers of a religion or of a person's name. Commend means to put together, to unite parts into one whole. You see, this list is going to show us various aspects in the ministry or of the ministry in which Paul and his companions had to live through, not go around, not avoid, but to live through. They wanted to be one with God, which sometimes brought about uncomfortable situations. In much patience, there in verse 4, but in all things we commended ourselves as ministers of God in much patience. James 1, 3 and 4 says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. That word patience there means cheerful endurance, steadfastness. Do you have cheerful endurance when you're going through something? Or are you kicking the dirt? or mentality. Do people wonder, is this guy a Christian? Does he have a God? Man. But let patience have its perfect work, complete work, mature work, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. So in much patience, in tribulations, in verse 4 there, in tribulations, Romans 5, 3 says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Really? Who wants to glory in tribulations? I don't. But Paul does. And that's pressure, a pressing together. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, which perseverance is another word for patience. Oh, okay. So yeah, I can glory in that. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to learn a very important principle in the ministry. Now, I'm not a doomsdayer. I believe I'm a realist. We're in a recession. We've been in a recession. 
For those of you who do any shopping, we're in hyperinflation. Even though nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, even though most people don't want to admit it, most of the politicians don't want to admit it, we're in hyperinflation. And uh, the, the ones that uh, are speaking the truth and that really know this stuff have been telling you this for the last 18 months. And the people are like, yeah, yeah, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. I wonder if people are still saying we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. Yes, yeah, some are. They're in the White House. We're not fine. In needs, in needs. Um, those that studied this and have been pretty right over the years have said we're going to be good through December. Things are going to keep, you know, steady. But after December, when the stores and people are done buying and putting everything on credit cards and the credit card debt is going through the ceiling right now, guys, this is reality. Let's just keep printing money. Let's just keep putting it on a card. They lay people off in January. We're going to implode. 23, they say. Some are saying it's going to be worse than 08. So hang up. Hang up. Are you trusting in man or are you trusting in God? I'm going to trust in God. Because Paul says in Philippians 4, 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Notice those four things there. The thing which you've learned. So I heard something, I learned it, then I received it. Oh, yes, that is true. I heard it. I saw it. I saw Paul do it. I saw Jesus do it. I saw Peter do it. I saw people do it. And the peace of God will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Paul's writing from prison, guys. Wait a minute, he's a Christian. He shouldn't be put in prison. He's writing from prison. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that, this is the point right here, guys, that we're entering into in 2023. Not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. That's my prayer for all of us. Because we, at the end of the day, guys, we get to go to heaven. The rest of the world is going to be freaking out as they already are. We get to go to heaven. So we've got to remain calm. We've got to remain collected. We have to be content knowing that we're just passing through and it's all going to burn anyways. Peter says that. He tells us that. It's all going to burn. But notice what Paul says. For I have learned. Paul learned. This was a man who had everything, guys. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was a cream of the crop. He had everything at his beckoning call in Jerusalem. Everything. To having nothing. Nothing. And so what does Paul say? I have learned. In whatever state I am to be content, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and suffer need. Now how many of you have this next verse memorized? But you didn't know the context of the verse. Here's the context. We just read the context of the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now you get the context. He's writing it from prison. And he's still saying in prison, I've learned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. They change the guard on a regular basis. I just get to share the gospel with the next guy that comes in. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a great exhortation for you and I in these days we're living in, back in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, again, not of a religion, not of a person, but of God, in much tribulation, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. The word distresses here, it means narrowness of room. Narrowness of room. Or what we would say, like ourselves, the phrase might be, I'm, I'm between a rock and a hard place. That's what this is saying right here, in distresses. In stripes, in imprisonment, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. You see, when Paul entered a city, he probably asked where the local jail was because he knew, he knew he was going to find his future accommodations. You see, many towns were probably ready to send him away at the drop of a hat because this guy had a way of starting riots and Rome did not endure riots. 
but it was just because he loved people and wanted to share with them the good news of Jesus being the Christ. Labors there. That word labors there, it means intense labor united with trouble and turmoil. How does the ministry sound so far to you? You want to be a part of it? Doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? You see, this was Paul's reality, though. And when we study the whole word of God, we often see this reality when a person takes a stand for God's word. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And again, if you're not familiar with your Bible, greatly encourage you to get familiar with your Bible. When they turn off your phone, you'll still have your paper Bible. They haul you off to prison, you can ask the chaplain for a Bible. Might not get it for a while, but... Luke 10, 1 through 3. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then Jesus said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. That's the church today. No matter what church you go to, if this is not your home church yet, that's fine. Pray, seek. God will show you where he wants you to be. Get planted, get rooted. And then become a laborer, because laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as... This is Jesus speaking here, guys. I send you out as lambs among wolves. Yeah, that's you and I in our culture today. We are lambs in the midst of wolves. Jump down to verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Very important, the name of Jesus. It's not about my name. It's not about our church's name. It's the name of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall from lightning, fall like lightning from heaven. Because Jesus created Satan. Jesus is not the spirit brother of Lucifer, according to Mormonism. Jesus spoke all things into being. So Jesus saw Satan fall. Jesus kicked him out of heaven, so to speak. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Not that we do this in any of our services. That's foolish. But in case something would happen, God could deliver you. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Isn't that awesome, guys? That is so awesome. Ernie, as we celebrate on Friday, he's rejoicing at the throne of God. He's rejoicing at the throne of God. Dawn, as we celebrated yesterday, She's got her brand new body, rejoicing at the throne of God. How many of you know Jesus as your Savior? As we look at Matthew chapter 10, we get ready to wrap it up with this as the music team comes up. Matthew chapter 10, we'll wrap it up with these verses. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is not enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the, of the house Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, the devil... How much more will they call those of his own household? Therefore, do not fear them. Exhortation for you and me as we go into this next week and we have to stake a stand for God. Do not fear them. For there's nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those. It's a great exhortation for you and me, guys. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear or reverence him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. The intimacy of God. And again, the intimacy of God in verse 30. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For some of us, it's getting easier to do. But the intimacy of God. God knows. Very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you have more value than many sparrows. God cares about a little sparrow. He cares about you. He cares about me. We'll wrap it up with this slide. Again, it's a list 
that we probably don't want to see fulfilled in our lifetime. I think as you read this list, and I encourage you, read this list again this week. Go through verse 10. We'll finish it up next week. But the way this country is going, they don't seem so far-fetched anymore. And Matt mentioned some to me before the service. I'm not going to mention, but I'm going to look it up. I'll come back to you next week about a Bible-believing Christian who was, uh, the authorities showed up at his house. So I'll get the information and relay it to you. You can look it up yourself as well. Guys, we're in desperate days. We're in desperate days. It's not time to play church. It's the time to be involved with the church. Um, we have, we're, we're considered a church, a house of refuge. I don't know if you saw it or not, but Arizona uh, is becoming very, very firm in the stance of abortion. Uh, prosecution can take place. That means that women are going to be maybe having babies and they're going to need help. They're going to need support. So we're considered a house of refuge. So if you would like to be a part of a team, a part of a team, there's a family here that wants to be a part of that team. If you would like to be a part of that team, you pray about it, write down your name, your phone number, your email address, get it back to us, and we'll start to have meetings on what does that look like. What does that look like? Not that you're going to house the lady or this, that, or the other thing. There's lots of agencies that we're going to be involved with, but what does that look like for our church, for our fellowship? And maybe it would be housing, but we don't, I'm not saying that, so don't let something like that scare you. Pray and trust that the Lord God is going to provide for you and take care of you. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. For we know these days are evil, but we also know that you're on the throne. And greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So, Father, we don't have to fear what's going to happen to us. We don't have to. We have examples in the word of God. It might even be death. So what? We get to go to heaven. Bummer. God, you know, it's not a big deal. So use us for your glory, Father. And use us in our workplaces. May we be those examples, not not taking a stand for a political party, not taking a stand for a religion, just using the name of Jesus when it's appropriate, speaking the truth in love, that people would come to know there is such a thing as truth still, and we're willing to share it. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, In Jesus' precious name, amen. Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.